Okay, Hi everyone, really good to see you all. As uh, yeah. oh, I think it's recording. Huh? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Okay, as Jan Rimmer everyone mentioned, we're gonna take a small um, break in our series. We've been going through with Phil and Sarah through the Book of Acts and seeing what kind of church we are, what kind of people we are called to be through the Book of Acts. And today we're gonna take a small break in between to look at something else. And so. A small, I think, a mild confession I have to make that I think I am, you know, mildly addicted to my phone, right? And, you know, there's some interesting situations where, you know, it's become, <laughs> where it's become automatic, you know? I go to the bathroom and somehow, without even thinking of, I take my phone, you know, up there, right? But I felt a bit better, I have to say, that I was at the airport the other day and I was at the men's section. And on one of those standing things, you know, and the guy next to me was obviously peeing, but also playing with his phone at the same time, you know. <laughs> and so I said, man, you know, I felt good about myself. I'm not there yet, so I'm okay, you know. Like, <laughs> but it's quite interesting, because sometimes now I just sit there and, you know, my hand, it's as if alone goes and grabs the phone, you know. And five minutes later, again, you know, as if something really important has happened, you know, in between. Anyway, so today we're not going to talk about phones and stuff, but we're going to talk about distraction. Right? So why distraction? Because in my opinion, it's either the biggest obstacle to spiritual growth or one of the biggest obstacles. And so to help us get into that uh, topic today, we're going to look at a text from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Yes. So it's the last verses, yeah, 38 to 42. So, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I just feel... Love this, you know, this picture that we have of Mary sitting at the Lord's feet and choosing that better portion, right? And Rose has a favorite song, which has become also my favorite. And I'll just read the lyrics because it's so beautiful and so describes what's happening in this text. It says from Kim Walker Smith called Just Be and it says, I'll just be here at your feet. Just be here on my knees, here in your presence I am complete. Jesus, you're all that I need. There is nothing more. There is nothing I want more because nothing matters more. Right now in this moment, God, you are here and there's nothing that matters more. And it's just so beautiful, right? Describes really this picture that Mary has left everything aside, right? And I said, okay, everything aside and just be at your feet, Lord listening to you, being in your presence, right? It's like Psalm 27 says, right? I'm paraphrasing, one thing I crave from the Lord, it's to be surrounded by His presence every moment of my life. 
And so going into the into the text now, it's clearly Martha's house, as the text says, and Mary is Martha's sister. And you know, so you never blame a Middle Eastern person, right, of like entertaining her guests. You know, it's a, hospitality is a big value, right, the Middle East. So that's not a problem. Um, but it's interesting that the text does not say, right, that uh, Martha was busy with cooking our meal. She says Martha was distracted, right? So instead of you know, being there and doing what the situation required, like Mary did, she is apparently a bit distracted, maybe cooking yet another meal, right? And so we come to what Martha asks of Jesus. And I think, you know, in every culture, I think we have this that you say something, but you mean something else or you mean something more. Uh, and, uh, you know, whenever I go to a Syrian or Lebanese restaurant here, you know, you eat and then at the end you go to pay and the guy says in Arabic, Khali alena. It means leave it on us, you know. So it's the folklore, you know, you say, ah, oh, no. I will pay. No, he says, you don't have to pay. No, you'll pay next time. That folklore, right? And of course, at the end, you have to pay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I've always like, entertained this idea. You know, what happens if a non-Middle Eastern goes, you know, and says, well, that's really kind of you. Thank you. See you next time. You know? I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, of course, you know, not exactly the same thing is happening here, but clearly under Martha's request of Jesus, there are some underlying concerns and preoccupations, right? So Kenneth Bailey, American theologian, excellent scholar of the New Testament, who has spent 40 years in the Middle East, right, is very helpful in this. So he says, okay, this is Martha's house. Mary is the sister of Martha. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and sitting at the rabbi's feet meant, you know, becoming a disciple or being a disciple. Right? And at that time, of course, that place was reserved for men. Right? And so Martha is saying to herself, okay, you know, what's going on here? What will my neighbors think, you know, of me? What will the local rabbis think? This is not okay. Next thing you know, she's going to hang out with Jesus and other young unmarried men. This is not okay. Right? So she gathers herself, goes to Jesus and says, well, Jesus... Apparently, my sister is listening to you. Tell her to stop this behavior. And it's always interesting, right, to then explore Jesus' response to these situations. No, Jesus doesn't say, oh, Martha, Martha, again, you know. The Passion Translation, which amplifies this text, says, Martha, my beloved Martha, right? So paraphrasing, Martha, my beloved Martha, I know that you are preoccupied and concerned about many things. But actually, one thing is necessary. Right? And Mary has chosen the good portion, the better portion. And again, Kenneth Bailey is so accurate here. He says that through this conversation, through this play on words, right? Jesus saying you've chosen the good portion. Basically, Jesus is reversing the situation. What Jesus is saying to Martha is that, Martha, I beloved Martha, I don't need yet another meal. I want you to understand that I am serving the banquet. Right? And Mary has indeed chosen the better portion. She has chosen the tastiest of meals. Right? And of course, it will not be taken away from her. Right? This privilege will not be taken away from her. And so, you know, I think this text is just a beautiful picture, right, of our lives. 
right? That, that really every moment, you know, we have we have choices to make, right? And we can see here really the both both, right? Like Martha being distracted and Mary like choosing the better portion, right? And so my question is, you know, how can we live undistracted lives, right? Like Mary, you know, how can really in that moment choose? the better portion, right? Leaving things aside and choosing sitting at the Lord's feet, right? Choosing to be aware and conscious of God's presence. So, Blaise Pascal is a 17th century great scientist, thinker, and theologian. He wrote in his colossal book called Pensée, which means thoughts in French, you know, thinking about this idea of distraction, he says this, he says, all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, that they cannot stay quietly in their own room. Right? It's quite interesting, a big claim, right? But it's really, it's really not a new claim, right? It's a it's claim that centuries Christians have been making, which also goes in line with the testimony of scripture, right? That stillness, quietness, solitude, and silence are necessary and essential to live a deeper spiritual life, right? Making room, right? Really to listen to our God who always speaks. And so my friends, I want to talk about this today, this practice of solitude and silence. Uh, it's something that's been on my heart. I'm very new at it. It's been only two months I've been um, practicing it. So I just want to share what I'm learning and the fruit that I'm seeing um, from it. But before that, I think it's important to just put a bit of context about how practice or spiritual disciplines fits into the overall, right, uh, overall lives, but also scripture as well. When we talk about spiritual formation, it's really nothing less than God's plan of filling the earth with little Christs, as C.S. Lewis says, right? People who are becoming like just who are reflecting his character. And that is really what differentiates Christians from others, right? It's not necessarily our actions, although our actions can be magnificent through the power of the Spirit, but it's really our inner being, which has been reflected in the image of Jesus, us in every moment really thinking and feeling and eventually doing what Jesus did, right? And of course, this process is always spirit-driven, but also requires a collaboration, right? Uh, what Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Second Peter says this very well. He says, you know, His divine power has given you all things that are necessary to live a godly life. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, etc., Right, so we see this us collaborating with the Spirit right, in this process. And I believe that spiritual disciplines or practices are at the core of our collaboration with the Spirit, are at the core of us abiding in Jesus, being in His presence, listening to Him. And one last thing is that sometimes spiritual disciplines or practices can get a bad reputation. Right? And it's not about, we're not talking about earning God's favor, right? It's what we're talking about is really embracing the fullness of what God has for us. God has put these practices and rhythms in our lives for us to enjoy, 
right, to get to know him better and deeper communion and a deeper life of joy and peace with him. And so this practice, we can see it right in scripture. Elijah fled to the desert, right, and heard God's voice. Jesus periodically retreated, right? And ultimately, before the beginning of his ministry, he retreated to the desert for 40 days, right? And the desert is not a place of weakness. On the contrary, it's a place of determination and strengthening. Right? That's where he had the determination to start his ministry and was victorious against the devil, right? But also take later on, the centuries, the desert fathers and mothers, right? Third century, people who chose and heard God's call to go into the desert and form a community, Right? and live a life of solitude. There was a prominent figure called Abba Anthony in the Desert Fathers, called Father Anthony. When he heard God's call to retreat, he spent 20 years alone in solitude. And when he came out, he was a completely transformed man. And people flocked to him to be inspired. And at the end of his life, he again chose to retreat into his solitude and when people came to ask, oh, where is Abba Anthony? Where is Father Anthony? He said, well, where God is, Abba Anthony is. And so this man chose to spend his rest of his life being consumed by and in the presence of God. And so what I'm saying is that this practice is anchored in Scripture, but also really um, practiced by centuries of Christians and in the Christian tradition. And so choosing this life-giving practice, again, is really responding to God's invitation to lead a blessed life. And, and when Jesus call, talks about blessed life, is really the highest state of well-being which is possible for human beings. And one more thing, you know, it's really this, these practices are nothing really out of the ordinary when you think about it, right? It's really, we find these basic principles also in life in general. Like take sports, for example. Right? When you love a sport, you train more and then you come to know the sport. Uh, you know, you love the sport even more. I'll pick on my two brothers-in-law <laughs> since they're here. They, I don't want to miss the opportunity. <laughs> no, they both love um, football, Ada and Oliver, and they're really great football players. And they play in the same team um, together every Saturday. And um, two weeks ago, you know, like... Uh, uh, they went there and it was canceled or whatever, but, you know, they have this passion inside. And so, you know, they felt they had to do something similar, right, to exert that, that passion. And so they chose to go pony riding, right? You can't blame them. No, I'm just kidding. They went mountain biking. <laughs> what I'm just saying really is that is that the same principles, right, that we find, right, in life are also can be broadly applicable right, to our spiritual life. Now going into deeper into this practice of solitude and silence, first, it's good to understand why we need it. Right? Henry Nouwen, Dutch pastor and um, great theologian, and when you read his works, you can really see the man has the deep experience of the deeper life with God. That he's very helpful. He says our lives are characterized by two things. He says one, our lives are filled. 
right? And what our lives are filled by outer, external things, external noise, right? And we all know what they are, right? Our meetings we have, phone calls, um, friendships, responsibilities, work, music, news, phone, technology, whatever. Right? So our lives are really <coughs> filled with these external things. But also, importantly, our lives are filled with inner noise a lot, right? And what I mean with that is that we spend, at least I'm talking for myself, I tend to spend time uh, preoccupying about things, right? And the word preoccupation is interesting. It's basically occupying your mind and time and space before you actually even get there, right? And so sometimes I, I can wake up in the middle of the night I just start thinking, and before I know it, I start practicing, rehearsing the presentation I have to give to work, you know, in the morning. You know? And really by detail, right? Nearly every word. Ah, oh, this slide, I'm going to say this. Now, when they ask me this, I will say this, right? And so occupying my mind before I even get there, right? And so, my friends, when we let this outer noise and inner noise, right, really cloud ourselves, right, we come and slowly tend to become deaf to God, right? deaf to the voice of God, because of this noise and no room to listen to God. And Henry Nouwen goes on to say that we tend to live distracted lives and absurd, our lives become absurd. Right? And absurd comes from the Latin surdus, which means deaf. Right? And so we come, we slowly, when we let this noise take over, we start becoming deaf to the voice of God. Second, when our lives are filled, and yet perhaps we can all relate to this, but I'm sure I think at least in certain seasons of life we can relate. Second, our lives can at some point feel unfulfilled. Right? We are busy, run from one thing to the next, and sometimes if we do, we stop for a second and realize, whoa, you know. Was this all worth it? You know, all this exhaustion, you know, was this all worth it, right? And, and if we let this going through the motions, right, sometimes we can start feeling a bit disconnected, disconnected from ourselves, unable to feel deeply um, emotions, disconnected from others, and sometimes just feeling a bit scattered, sometimes lonely. And again, Henry Nouwen is so good here. He says, one way to express the spiritual crisis of our time is to say that most of us have an address but cannot be found there. Right? And so, my friends, adopting this practice of solitude and silence, we are choosing to come back home. We are choosing right, to come back and remember who we are. And so, the first time about a year ago when I started this practice, um, I stopped quite fast because when I was like just sitting down, then you know, all different kinds of thoughts start coming in my mind, even fantasies, you know, things I was ashamed of. And I just didn't want to, you know, I didn't feel it was okay for me to think these things. So I would just get up, literally start doing the dishes, start distracting myself, right? And now I'm just learning to see them pass by, right? That God is greater. And all these thoughts uh, of mine, right? But really, it can feel like a furnace sometimes, that place when we just 
stay still. Right? We choose to do really nothing. Right? And scripture reading can be part of it. Right? But the goal is really just to sit and listen to God's voice, meditate on his word and see what he's saying to us. But it can feel like a furnace sometimes. Sometimes we are faced with an emptiness that we didn't know perhaps was there. Right? And it's like when you go to the beach, you put your foot in the sand and the sand and the water get all mixed up. Right? But when you retreat your foot, the sand goes down. And that's exactly what happens as well when we choose to retreat. Right? All that noise starts going down and we can see our hearts clearly. We can see the water clearly. And there we can bring and surrender whatever is on our hearts to the Lord and He will meet us there. My friends, finally, the solitude of practice is a place of liberation. I think we can all more or less agree that when we give so much energy to something, right, we can start getting a bit attached to that thing. And when we let the attachment grow, right, we can see ourselves being, you know, identifying with that thing, whatever it is, maybe our accomplishments, our reputation. And when we let ourselves be identified too much, we really become somehow our successes or our accomplishments or whatever it is, right? And so when we, for example, become our accomplishments productivity or we are too attached to our productivity, one day when we're not productive, ah, it can really cut us to the core. And so, my friends, that place when we are alone with the Lord, all those false scaffoldings somehow that attach us and have a stronghold over us start falling down. Right? And Dallas Willard says this so well. He says that in this place of solitude and silence, we come to learn that we have a soul and that there is a God and we are His and that this world is my Father's world and that is enough. Right? In that place of solitude and silence, we come back home. We come back home, we remember who we are. Before we have a time to respond, I'll just say two more things. One was an interesting story I was reading the other day, which I think fits a bit well what we're talking about. There was a man who decided to go to a country in Africa, and he took two porters with him, and the goal was to uh, go through uh, the country the fastest way possible, right? So whenever there was a river, they would traverse it. Whenever there was a hill, you know, they would climb it really fast. And at some point, the porter stopped. Right? And the guy said, what's happening? Are you already tired? It's only been a few hours, right? We have to go. He said, no, sir. No, we're not tired. But we've been moving so quickly, we are waiting for our souls to catch up. So my friends, I, I encourage you either to adopt this practice or go deeper into it. And I believe that as we do, this practice, which is confined in time and space, will become what Henry Nouwen calls a solitude of the heart. Right? Meaning that we will never have to leave that place. Right? That intimacy that we have experienced with our Lord in that time and space, we will carry with us to the rest of the day. Right? And wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we can go on living our lives, right? but all the while, remaining in the presence of God, right? And choosing that better portion like Mary did.
Amen. My friends, I will just ask the band please to come. Since we have some time still, we will just take some time to respond. And in a minute, the band will just play some instrumental. But before we do that, um, I think this, bu- this text is a really beautiful one, just to really hear, spend some time putting ourselves in that text. Right? I think that's the beautiful thing about the Bible, is that the characters that are there are just like people you and me. Right? If we were there, we would have felt the same things as they were feeling right there. Right? So we can very much right, put our, our, ourselves in their shoes. Right? And I would encourage us, now if you want, you can close your eyes or whatever, but putting ourselves in Mary's shoes right? and just being there in front of our Lord. Right? And maybe you want to express what's in your heart. Maybe you're filled with gratitude about something and sharing that with Him. <coughs> maybe there is something on, on your heart. And you want to share that with him. And I'd like to encourage us is that you know, God comes to us in our thoughts, perceptions, and experiences. Right? Our thoughts and perceptions are the substance of our lives. Right? So maybe in this moment now it will take a few minutes. Maybe God will come in your thoughts and put a thought in your mind or experience. Right? Dwell on it and maybe see if the Lord stop there let's have a few minutes and then instrumental and then the band will finish with worship as well